Hi, hello, welcome to Smoke Show. Uh, I'm Claire. Let's just jump right in. Today we're going to be talking about MTV. MTV is one of those things that I think ha obviously has a big place in culture, but I don't think it gets talked about in the ways that I wish it got talked about. I don't think people take MTV's influence on culture very seriously, despite the fact that for a good chunk of my teenage years, the most watched shows in America were on MTV, which no matter which way you slice it, influences the culture. During the mid 2000s, I was MTV's prime viewing audience. And I think that was really also like kind of a pinnacle time for teenage media. We don't have nearly as much media that is made specifically for teenagers these days. And I think the stuff that is, is a lot um, softer than what was being marketed back then to teenagers. When you look at MTV reality shows versus like what, I don't know that we're really making reality shows that we're marketing at teens the same way anymore. I know that the CW still has shows and like stuff like that. There's definitely still like sex on TV aimed at teens about teenage relationships. But like, I don't think it's nearly as like raunchy or real as it was because the thing about MTV in the heyday of the 2000s was that there was no social media. So what happened on the TV was very tightly controlled and the narratives were well controlled. There's the blog and the Twitter and I recommend it. It's a great follow. Pop Culture Died in 2009, I think is honestly one of the most genius blog handles I've ever heard of because it is so true. It sums it up so well. R celebrities used to be so much messier. Twitter Early Twitter was so messy and people really used to not have the PR training that I think they have now. And it was such an interesting time. And MTV was like appointment viewing. The fact that The Hills was the most watched show in America, I think really says something about the culture at the time. And also when you look at the influence of Lauren Conrad on the broader like spectrum, it's really fucking fascinating. Um, I don't think Instagram would look like it looks without Lauren Conrad, so. Okay, so I don't want to dive into Lauren Conrad's influence on culture quite yet, but I do want to talk about MTV's influence on culture because I think MTV gets written off really easily because they were aimed at teenagers and specifically, I think, because they were aimed at, say it with me, teenage girls and we hate women and especially teenage girls. I don't think anybody is on the receiving end of cultural vitriol in terms of their taste more so than teenage girls across the spectrum, like it, it is ridiculous. Um, despite the fact that like everything teenage girls are super into do end up influencing culture because teenage girls love culture in ways that everybody wishes they could fucking replicate. Do you know how many artists would kill for like one tenth of the commitment that ARMY has to streaming people? Like it is wild. But like Harry Styles, I think is a perfect example of this, right? Like everybody for years derided 1D and all of the fandom and like, I cannot get into the fandom and um, the cultural reverberation of the Larrys. But like Harry Styles is fucking headlining Coachella this year. That doesn't happen if his fans did not stay loyal and buy all of his shit and stream all of his music and make people take him seriously. And also he's, you know, like got rock star vibes. So it worked out. He was always that vibe in one, like in one direction. It was very clear early on that Harry knew how to be a star in a way that I don't think any of the other ones really like Zane was obviously very talented and so attractive, um, but he never really had the like magnetic celebrity ease of celebrity that um, Harry did. So 
I just, you know, like to point that out. But I think MTV in particular gets written off as like, oh, it was just it was just bullshit reality shows. MTV invented reality shows. And I think reality shows have become one of the most influential things of all time in current pop culture. So MTV literally invented reality with the real world. And then I think that they have also done an incredible amount of work in the competition reality space, specifically with the challenge. But like, I just want to like take us back to how MTV built to the influence that they eventually had in culture, because it started in the 80s. And honestly, early MTV clips like are so fascinating to me. They feel like such a perfect encapsulation. And I found through doing a little, like I did a little bit of research for this episode because I just needed to make sure of some things. And what I found was that Andy Warhol had a reality, like not a reality show, but like an interview clip show on MTV. It was called Andy Warhol's 15 Minutes. Most of them are up on YouTube. I watched a bunch of them this morning. So I think the thing that I would love the most is if I could get my hands on all of the New York City public access tapes from the 80s and 90s. The stuff that was being captured on there. So recently I watched a documentary about Ricky Powell. He was the guy who was the photographer for most famously the Beastie Boys. But honestly, like the doc- I would not recommend the documentary because it was truly one of the saddest pieces of media I've ever consumed. I think they thought they had a very different story going in than they ended up with. But Ricky Powell just feels like a very like so New York and so of that time. And he had a public access show and this Andy Warhol show kind of, and I don't mean that in like a derogatory way. I just mean like, we used to really have an interesting chronicle of what New York was and what nightlife was, but people were not going out in order to be chronicled. And so it just made for a much more authentic experience that we cannot replicate anymore because nobody, it's it's hard to do things for reasons besides the story and it like the story is now being captured in real time on our phones and like i don't mean to be like social media ruined everything but like we just don't have ex- like i think the problem is that social media made it really easy to market and so now everything is marketing like a few years ago talk about the M- downfall of mtv here we go um a few years ago there was a thing that was like come to the missy elliott vma museum and i was like Fuck yeah. And I got a friend and we went to Soho uh, at like 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And we walked into this thing and we were like, fuck this. This is so disappointing. I thought it was going to at least be like some cool uh, museum-ish type. Like it, it was it was talked about as the Missy Elliott Museum. So I figured they would at least have some like interesting did you know facts or something on the wall. It was just different sets to take Instagram photos in and then you could get your nails done in like a little set that said get your nails did and that was like it and it was just it was all photo booth stuff like but not photo booth like sets like it was like here's the set that looks like this music video and because I'm just not that person and neither was my friend we just left after like 20 minutes and I was like like 20 minutes of standing in line and like five seconds of being inside. We looked around, we were like, oh, this is nothing like we thought it was going to be. And I was just like, this is such a waste because like Miss Yelly, it's so fucking cool. I would have loved to see like a real, honestly, love an academic approach to pop culture. So it just, it's, it was, it's frustrating to me that that is what I feel like celebrity culture has kind of been reduced down to. And also like, they're just, they're, what's really cool in the Andy Warhol's 15 minutes, the first episode is so packed with people. Like, Debbie Harry pops up and Jerry Hall is there. And like my first exposure to Jerry Hall was her reality show, which was on VH1, which was called Kept, 
where she wanted to find a kept man. And so she just had a bunch of like 20 year old dudes flown to a mansion in England and then like put them through a series of challenges. I do not remember most of the challenges, but I do remember that Rolling X, like the Rolling Stones used to show up for like the dinner parties and all the dudes would like freak out because they'd be like, that's actually Keith Richards. Like what the fuck is happening here? And then I don't remember who won, but the last, the final like episodes, they had they had to take her on dates in Paris. And one of them took her to the, the Moulin Rouge and like didn't know what the Moulin Rouge was. And it's like, it was a full on titty show. And he was like, oh shit. Um, it was fascinating. So anyway, reality shows, Jerry Hall coming back around. And I was watching the first episode and then I, I had like been doing something else. And then I heard Lady Bunny and I was like, oh my God, that's the youngest footage I've ever seen of Lady Bunny. Like it, Paulina Portscove is in it. Like there's so many just random fucking people. And it's just him walking around New York and like going to different places. And these people were there and he interviewed them. Like it's, it's really special. And I think that there were other things that MTV had early, early on, like the Jon Stewart show. Jon Stewart went to The Daily Show because of that show. Like it kept a lot of people in the conversation honestly, we probably wouldn't have the blight on society that is Jenny McCarthy if we didn't have singled out. And Dr. Drew's love line was massive on that network for years. And so like we wouldn't have Dr. Drew and all of the harm that he's caused. So like, I don't think that MTV is a net positive on the world, but I do think that their influence is undeniable. Let's put it that way. So I was thinking about all of the shows that I have seen that I've like never really seen again. I think MTV has a problem with the streaming era because they can't afford the rights to the music that they put into the shows. So if you watch Daria, which is like one of the shows they have made available, a lot of the scenes are just completely edited and it's really boring music. Like they're not, it's not just that they're replacing the cool music that they had in the show at the time. It's that they're not even replacing it with other cool, cheaper music. They're just putting in royalty free shit. So but like, that's why it's really hard to find early real world and even some of the early challenges and stuff like they've put the challenge on Paramount Plus, but I think it's only seasons like 10 plus. Um, and then some of them they've also loaned out to Netflix. So those ones are also unavailable. It's annoying. Get your shit together, Viacom. But there were certain like one off seasons of things that I really loved. Like there was a dance show called Dance Life that was produced by JLo. And the final episode is, of course, the dancer who's been struggling to get a job the entire season gets a job as her backup dancer at LA Gay Pride and gets to perform. And it's a whole wonderful thing. But that show was so interesting because there came a point in every single episode where the dancer that was being focused on that episode would just have to dance out their feelings. And it was incredible. There was a show called That 70s House that I remember where they had to like give up their tech and like live in a house. And the, the only rule I remember was that if the hustle played, they had to like run to the living room and do the hustle. And one girl slept on a beanbag chair through it. But like the the image of so many reality shows of that time for me are contestants like huddled in a makeshift like phone area with a landline clutched to their ear just like talking to somebody who's telling them that like they're doing great and how to stay sane mtv really did a great um job at isolating and their their things seem to be like isolate people make them bored feed them alcohol so they weren't allowed to like do anything else and they weren't allowed to like go to like when I think about how drunk the Jersey Shore cast was the entire time they were filming that show, it's really incredible. Like it's wild that it's legal <laughs> to feed adults that much alcohol. Basically, they weren't allowed to do things like I was listening to an interview, the executive producer who founded like Surreal Life and all of like the Flavor of Love, Rock of Love shows and stuff. And he was talking about like the ethics 
of reality t- television and being like, these are adults. Like, I can't lock them inside of this house, but I also can't let them leave because I need them on camera to finish their job. And they do have a contract, so I can, you know, talk them down. But I, I was locking the gate so that this woman, like, couldn't run out onto the main road. And at that time in my life, I was like, do I have the right to do this? And, like, the answer is no. Production is such a weird pressure cooker situation for people. And I think, like... When I was young and watching America's Next Top Model, I thought 19-year-olds had, like, their wits about them at any given time. They don't. And so now when I watch those shows, I'm like, this is exploitation of, like, chill. Like, I know that they're, like, some of them are in their early 20s and stuff. But, like, as soon as you put people in a situation in which they are not in full control of their lives, like, it does. Regression is so obvious. And... MTV in particular was pretty horrendous as far as production because from my understanding, MTV is not unionized on most of their shows or any of their shows. I know a few years ago, MTV poached a bunch of writers from really good publications because I think they were trying to stage like an MTV news comeback. This was during like the BuzzFeed kind of heyday. And they poached a bunch of people and then those people, because they were from legitimate newsrooms, tried to unionize and they fired all of them overnight. So... MTV is not a pro-union workplace from what I can tell. And so my understanding is that a lot of the production and a lot of the like, you know, boom mic operators and key grips and all of those people, it's a it's a really good starting point for a lot of people in their career. So there's a lot of shit that happens on MTV shows that wouldn't happen on a union show. And I think that that is just something to keep in mind throughout all of this. And I think that the thing about MTV and where they fit in the culture is, again, like there was no social media. So people had access to celebrity through the television and not through their phone because the your phone could call numbers and that was it. It's so, you know, like I know that it's like, oh, it was only so many years ago. It's wild to think about. But like, it is wild to think about. Like my phone in high school connected to the internet, but anytime it tried, I was like, it was my, you know, like razor. And anytime it tried, I thought it was going to charge me like $900 on my bill. So I would be furiously trying to exit out of the app that like, couldn't have done anything. We didn't have apps. Like, yeah, anyway. So MTV, really important. I think, like, obviously the joke is that, like, music wasn't on MTV anymore by, like, the late 90s. The VMAs were still very important. They were water cooler kind of moments. Even the campy shit that has stuck around in culture, like, next, Jackass came from MTV, and Jackass was such a big part and impact on culture. It is impossible, I think, to overstate how much MTV really fed the rest of the networks in terms of ideas, in terms of, yes, this really does work. Because when you look at the timeline of the progression of reality shows on MTV and how they line up with other networks, MTV is almost always first. And honestly, they almost always did it better. So like when you look at the progression into how we really came to have these kind of like celebrity reality shows, because we have to remember that at the beginning, reality television was seen as the bottom of the barrel. And most people, especially people who had been screen actors, did not want to deign to be on television Let because we didn't have prestige television either, let alone reality television. So like the finding of these weird kind of BCD-less celebrities and making them into pop culture icons really came from MTV. Because the thing is, at some point, a brilliant producer at MTV was like, you know what I bet the audience would love to see is the inside of celebrities' houses. And everybody was like, yes, please. And because MTV was weirdly scripted, Cribs is not a good watch. It's... (laughs) 
it's like so off-putting that they're kind of faking it half the time and there's always people kind of gathered around and the celebrities are really stilted and awkward but you know who had a great cribs episode the osbournes and so they got their own show out of it and like we don't i don't think um enough attention is paid to how much the osbournes as a show really spun a million reality shows from it Talk about revitalizing an entire genre of a career. And Jack and Kelly Osborne were so big in culture. And uh, one, it, The Osbournes was one of those MTV shows that I was never a big fan of at the time. I think I could probably watch it now, although I still don't love yelling. There was a lot of yelling on MTV. I think I was much more of a VH1 girl because VH1 was like a lot more listical kind of countdowny shows at the time. Like, I love the 70s, 80s, 90s, best week ever, top 40 reality show. Like, they just had a lot more, like, marathons of America's Next Top Model and listical uh, shows where celebrities and comedians would, like, make jokes about culture. And that is my, uh, that is it. That is all I ever want. I cannot believe that I cannot watch any of the I love the 70s, 80s, or 90s. They were some of my favorite things ever produced. So MTV, a lot more yelling on the shows. The Osbournes was also, knowing what we know now about the Osbournes and how deep an addiction Jack was, it's weird to watch. It's also very weird to watch because he's like 16 and 17 and the girls coming out of his bedroom in the early seasons. Jack Osborne dated like Mandy Moore for a minute and like Nicole Richie. It's fucking wild. And Kelly was a huge like launched celebrity, I think. You know, Papa Don't Preach came out, but like Kelly as an icon and culture was a thing for a moment. And we were so mean to Kelly Osborne. She was like, what, like a size like six? And everybody used to treat Kelly like she was the fattest person on the planet. And we shouldn't treat the fattest person on the planet with any derision either. But like it is in it is just like wild to look back at the treatment of Kelly and then like look at what she actually looked like. Like the early 2000s were a blight on just like the cultural fat phobia was at kind of an all-time high and we're seeing a resurgence of it now um, which is absolutely terrifying so there are so many shows that I would love for MTV to put up that they never will probably because MTV packed all of their shows with a ton of music and that was cool MTV never really strayed that far from music for a while and I think the way that they started really incorporating music into shows is also super influential and having like the bar on the bottom that told you what the artists were like I used to write those down and then go to LimeWire and download all of them after the show like it was a very like part of my like music repertoire like huge amount of that came from MTV because there was no discover playlist of like, hey, you like this? You might like this. It was just your friends asking, well, it was my friends asking me to torrent them shit because I was the only one who really knew how or didn't care about getting malware on their computer, sorry. So there's so many reality shows that MTV should put up that they never will. I would love to watch the paper. I would love to watch Dance Life and all the made episodes because now I know so much more about production. So I find all of that pretty fascinating, but MTV had a lot of weird shows. My Super Sweet 16, there are a few episodes up on like Hulu and stuff. And they don't have the iconic Hillary Duff intro. Hillary Duff really, how much money did she make from her music being commissioned for MTV intros? How much money did Natasha Bedingfield get for Unwritten being the opening theme of The Hills? Because that was, you can't substitute it. And they definitely pay Hillary Duff for the Laguna Beach titles too, so... Eighth and Ocean was a big one. That one was a big one for me. Not a big one in culture, but that one was about models in Miami. 
And it was first kind of like awareness of what mean models could really do to each other as far as like not telling the girl you live with about the casting call or like telling them the wrong time or whatever. And getting back to like the Osbournes, like the Osbournes were a huge deal because like Ozzy is a celebrity and he was also super high the entire time on pills and shit. Like when he can't talk, it's not just because like I think at the time everybody was like, oh, his brain is gone from having had too many drugs. And it was like, no, he was in like active addiction on the show. Jack, like the reason they stopped filming the Osbournes is because Jack had to go to rehab. And Kelly has since admitted that like when they were holding the intervention for Jack, she was like really high on like Adderall and Xanax and shit. Like Kelly was addicted to pills too. And it, Jack has told the story of how his addiction kind of started and how MTV was really part of it because he was walking down the street in New York and somebody recognized him from the show and he's like a 16 year old and they say like Jack Osborne get your ass in here he goes into a bar people buy him drinks and like after that he just really fell into alcoholism and like I'm not saying that those that Jack and Kelly would not have been exposed to the to dark sides of culture before that or done underage drinking of course they were their parents were Aussie like their nannies have given interviews, their ex-nannies, and been like, yeah, like, you know, they're 13 and they're running around on different tour buses at OzFest, and I don't know what they're allowed to do. And we know that celebrity children are just like, ugh, uh, uh. Whenever I think about, like, 11-year-old Drew Barrymore doing cocaine, like, I just want to cry. Like, who was allowing this child near that much, near that many drugs? But, like, Osborne's newlyweds. Like, Jessica Simpson would not have been the household name she is without newlyweds and what she managed to do with her career is actually really fascinating if you've never been interested in a celebrity autobiography i recommend jessica simpson it's actually pretty well written and she's really like fun and fascinating and her story is quite dark and she tells it really well and i you know really appreciate that she has made squillions off of her hair extensions line and her shoe line from kohl's like good for you jessica simpson but there were also, like, they really tried to, like, launch a few people through MTV reality shows. Like, I don't know if anybody else watched the show Cheyenne. It was about a singer. She had won, like, America's Kids Got Talent or something, and she was coming out with a CD. The guy who was the love interest, because she, like, moved out to L.A. on the show. Like, that was what the show chronicled, was her family, like, moving from, like, Nashville or Texas out to L.A. And the guy out in L.A. who's in her music video was eventually on American Idol. He was, like, the... he. I feel like we called him, like, Jesus Dreads at the time, which is probably not great, because he's a white guy with dreadlocks. But, like, I just remember being like, wait, that guy was on MTV! Like, (laughs) so... There was that. Ryan Sheckler had a show. Like, they really gave some random celebrity shows back then and just followed them around. And hey, it made great content. But I think MTV was a lot more willing to... First of all, I think it's really interesting to look back at reality shows that were half an hour and how well MTV used to cut together absolute chaos. There's so much that you don't need to see in order to understand what's happening in a scene. It's really fascinating. I don't think we have condensed reality shows anymore. I think, honestly, most reality shows are too long. I would love if Bravo would release a cut of all the housewives with all of the little scenes like I would love a half hour cut or a 15 minute cut even I think sometimes honestly if you've ever wanted to get into the housewives but you're like I just there's too many fucking seasons you can absolutely just watch the recap the fucking intro recaps and the reunions and you will have seen enough of the season I do not think we need hours of like the bachelor being almost two hours is like the bane of The Bachelor's existence. Like, the reason that it's hard for those producers to come up with enough stories because there's not enough happening to fill that amount of time. Anyway, so MTV. 
we're going to talk about the challenge now. Um, and the reason we're going to talk about it is because I watched so much of it. And if I don't make content out of it, that just means that I watched a ton of the challenge. So I wrote an essay about it and then I didn't send it because shit got really heavy in June. And I didn't think it was a great time to be talking about an old reality show that is not something that I would ever recommend people consume, but is a fascinating thing. Just to get into my history with the challenge, um, which is not long or deep, which is why it's even funnier that I got super into it. I didn't watch the challenge when I was growing up because it always felt like I didn't have enough narrative awareness of what was happening. I didn't watch the real world. By the time the real world would have appealed to me, we were already past like the real world as like a cool, interesting reality show. And we were much more into like hot people fucking in hot tubs era of the real world. And that's just not that interesting to me. There was a fat girl on the first season of the real world. And I just think that it's really important to point out that we actually removed fat people from reality television. They were there at the founding. We've removed them. It was a conscious choice by MTV to lean into hot young singles live in a house together shows rather than do the kind of like documentary style they have been doing. And I think what's really interesting about that is you can say that that's what the audience responded best to, but I don't think you can actually say that if you didn't offer the audience the alternate, right? Like in the challenge, in a world in which there was a female producer perhaps, or somebody who wasn't a terrible misogynist and predator at the helm of that show, we could have had a show where women's contributions and like physical capabilities would have actually been taken into account to create a show in which women could have succeeded without the help of men. I think with casting and MTV, it's always really interesting to look at the balance that they were going for and also the behavior that got rewarded because the challenge is its own little ecosystem because they invited people back. If you watch the episodes the way I did, which is just to marathon the seasons straight through, you see who gets invited back. You see what behavior gets awarded, but you also get to see the first era of people who went on the real world or went on road rules when it was still around just to get to the challenge. And there's a thing that happens in um, Battle of the X's one or two, I think maybe it's the one where CT and DM end up on the same team where there are people in the house going like, oh my God, CT and DM, because at that point, their relationship was so ingrained in pop culture. There was people had watched it on the show and now they were meeting them in real life. And it was like, meet your heroes kind of thing. And so everybody was like, but you guys were so cute together. And it's like the edit of them was so cute together. You're now meeting them in real life and still treating them like you actually know what was happening. And what you know is what they were telling you and what the producers decided you should see. But obviously CT and DM's entire arc of relationships captured on MTV was huge for MTV. And so it it's like, honestly, I gotta say, some of the choices made on the challenge as far as production are some of the most interesting ones they could make. I think that whoever came up with the idea of rivals seasons where they would pair two people who had had historical beef together and make them compete with each other to win the entire season, that is brilliant. That is so smart. The fact that they had enough lore and enough people that they could do multiple seasons where they linked up people who used to date and make them compete together, fascinating. It definitely produced some really great television and also put people in some really fucking awful precarious positions. And 
I think the thing with MTV is that you can clear, like what's so upsetting about watching the old stuff is like, not only is it some of the most fatphobic, homophobic, racist shit that ever was captured and aired without much consequence. There's definitely people who remember who did blackface on the challenge, but when it happened, I was like, the fact that this is like, how? How are those people still just like kind of like what's interesting also about the people who stuck around on the challenge is like they've been able to now become influencers on Instagram and stuff. But some people were just like it's if you go and look through people who used to be on MTV reality shows, like the amount that they engage in social media is actually really varied across the board. And it's kind of interesting. If you go and look up like Jessica from season two of Laguna Beach, who was really the the reason for the season of season two. She has like 13,000 followers. She's like a regular like mom in Texas. And like, you know that, she, or like 30,000, I don't know. I looked her up a while ago, but like, I was like, oh, the only reason you have these followers is because you were really messy one semester of your like high school career. And everybody's kind of interested in who you are now because they feel some sort of kinship with you, probably because they watched you at a formative age and were like, I am that friend too, Jessica. I would also have debased myself for the attention of the hottest dude at high school. That makes sense. Watching those shows now and being like, oh my God, yeah, that that makes sense. I would not have been the cool one. Like when I watched these shows when I was younger, like The Hills and Laguna Beach and all of that stuff, I definitely thought that I would have been the cool one. And uh, watching them now, I'm like, oh no, I was, I am not a Kristen. I am a Jessica. So it's so, MTV just really runs the gamut. But the challenge leaned into the worst parts of itself and is still ongoing. The fact that the challenge has now jumped networks all the way to the parent company, CBS, TJ Lavin got, I wanna know how much money he's made off that gig. The fact that TJ Lavin is still the host of the challenge all these years later is so good for you, TJ. Way to have a post BMX like career. There is one season where he shows up, I think it's like Rivals and he shows up at the beginning and they're not sure if he's going to come because he had just gone through like a major fall. Like he like hit his head upside down and his brain started swelling and stuff. And he was like, he he like shows up and they're all like so relieved to see him. And it's this really sweet moment because you're like, oh yeah, you guys have actually spent like a lot of fucking time together. Like we only get edits of it, but whenever you see the behind the scenes of TJ, he comes off so well. I think TJ Lavin is truly one of the funniest reality show hosts that's ever existed. He hates quitters and he makes that known. TJ is constantly being like, don't quit. I hate quitters. Like if you quit or you don't perform in a challenge or you like give up because you're just like so sick of being there, he has no time for those contestants. He is so mean to them. But when somebody tries their best and like gets eliminated, he's so sweet to them. There's a girl that he like gives his watch because she tried her hardest. TJ is He feels very authentic in the early seasons in particular. And I think that's just because he truly was like, are you fucking kidding? Like, try. Like, (laughs) I think that sometimes like that energy is what people need for pushing. I think that there are really two types of people. There are people who get encouraged by kind of gentle handholding. And there are people that get encouraged by like shit or get off the pot. And I think some of us are both on different days, you know, but um, TJ is a very like shit or get off the pot kind of guy. And there is a moment in the 20th season, which is called the challenge cutthroat. The way that the system is structured is that the teams go into the basement one at a time and say their vote for who they want to vote in. And it's a private vote. A lot of times on this show, it's a public vote that you have to cast. So everybody kind of knows what's happening and who to beef with. What's interesting on cutthroat 
is they're divvied up by teams and then their teams have to nominate somebody from within their own team to go up. There is one team that consists of like many beloved veterans of this series who all come back after this season. And there is one black man on the team and they just continuously nominate him and he keeps winning and they keep nominating him. And it gets to the point where TJ Lavin comes into the room and is like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Why do you keep putting up your best athlete into the gulag? What are you getting at here? And I was like yelling at my television in that moment because this came out in 2010. And if TJ Lavin had walked into that room and been like, what the fuck is up with your racist treatment of your teammate? You are destroying your best chance at winning this game because you fucking idiot white people have created your own little racist coalition and you're pretending it's not racially motivated. And I just want you to know that it's very obvious it is. I can't imagine the cultural reverberation of having MTV actually seriously address any of the shit on camera. There's a lot of fat phobia on the show. And there's a particularly rough scene in which Laurel, who is a very mean girl, um, but mean in a different way. And I think Laurel's really fascinating as like a person. But I fucking if, if I ever see Laurel like on site. Um, she absolutely berates like the one fat contestant that ever shows up on these shows who they literally call Big Easy. And then as he loses weight, TJ starts to call him like medium easy. And I just think like they kind of say like Laurel went too far, but nobody really stands up for him in the moment. Obviously, it's a it's a horrific scene. I do not recommend anybody watches it. But I just like I couldn't help but go like, oh, but what if we had had like an actual conversation, like an actual cultural reckoning with like why what she said was so fucked up? And I think the the problem is, is that MTV wouldn't have had that because they didn't think what she said was fucked up. They think that all fat people just need to hear really mean shit said to them. And then suddenly that will motivate them as if fat people don't hear mean shit about themselves all the time. And that hasn't motivated them to starve themselves and hurt their bodies in order to appease people visually because, hey, guess what? Your health is not correlated to your size. Anyway, the so the sexism I think is the most blatant of all of the of all of the problems um, of the early two thousands pop culture that really gets encapsulated. Um, they talk about girl, like there is one season where they just keep calling the girls dead weight. There's a lot of specific uh, numbers shared about weight in in like literal weight because the girls. Like, because it's a physical show, they do these kind of, like, stats boards and stuff, but everybody has access to each other's, like, actual weight, and so they will say horrific shit about girls. But also, the challenge, I briefly mentioned this earlier, but, like, the challenge is on the challenge, the physical things that they are forced to do, it is so rare that they design them in a way that the women could actually be better than the dudes. And what's really frustrating about that is, like... (laughs) Um, for a little while, I got super into watching competitive CrossFit. And so there's a lot of evidence that women are actually much better at like repetitive long-term movement. If you watch um, any CrossFit competition, but particularly like the finals of the 2020 games are a really good example of this. Three women finished the exact same amount of 
work that they had to do. They were wearing weighted vests that were, I think, like 15 pounds lighter than the men's. Three women finished before the first dude. Anyway, I'm able to very much say confidently that if these were better design challenges, the women would have had no issue competing. But also, you have to look at who they were casting, because when you look at the men that they were casting, these men took it as an opportunity a lot of times to win $150,000. And because the challenge was designed the way it was, they actually had the ability to just use their physical brute strength to guarantee that outcome, because it didn't matter if they could navigate politically between each other because the challenges are designed such that the final, like the knockout rounds that they have after the team challenge or the solo, whatever, if you're strong enough, you can just win those. And then you don't have to actually worry about like politics at all. Like Wes goes into exile every single time in the fresh meat one season. And he just manages to get through it every single time. So he makes it to the final. The, the women on the challenge and the I'm going to say the girls because a lot of them are very young, but like the girls on the challenge don't have that opportunity. They really have to like be good with their partners, be good politically. They have to really navigate things socially. And so you see a lot of like hookups on the challenge that are probably just happening to secure spots. But also you see people fall in love on the challenge. And that's really interesting. And you have to look at who they're casting because like in Fresh Meat 1, like Wes is one of the worst people who's ever been on reality television. Like he should have never been allowed on based on the way he was talking to Casey in Fresh Meat 1 again. Um, and he was horrible to other people as well, including his the girl he lived with and bought a home with, who eventually turned around in a later season when he was broken up with her and was like, my name is the only name on the deed on your house and I will sell it out from under you. And it is one of the most wild moments of reality television where you're like, that is history. That takes years to accumulate that level of drama where somebody can say, I will fuck your life up outside of this show if you do not get your shit together and start competing as a good team member. So the way that Wes spoke to Casey in Fresh Meat season one is foul. It is some of the most disgusting, like outright misogynistic shit I've ever heard. And Casey was 18 and she was tiny. And it's like, they're putting her on this show and then they kept getting, this is the season where they kept getting put in exile and the exile exercise was to lift like 150 pounds in these bags and carry them like a few miles, like a very exhausting thing to do. She managed to get through it every single time. He's really mean to Casey the entire time to the point that I think the producers did step in or something happened because after they win and his girlfriend gets eliminated and she tells him you're an asshole, they cut to Casey screaming at Wes in the parking lot and like making fun of the things that he was saying to her. And TJ is literally like, it's it's a faraway shot and you see Casey like jumping up and down and just really giving it to Wes. And like in that moment, I just hope she knows that it was the most cathartic thing I think I've ever watched on television. I wanted to yell at Wes exactly the way she did. And you see Wes on the other, and then between them, leaning against a car is TJ. And he is just laughing his ass off because she is so right. And he is just, and I, do, I think that his laughing at her mocking him, like he's laughing at Wes in that moment. And I do think that like shame is not good for building coalitions, but you know what shame really is good for, especially when it's man to man, is um, forcing a behavior change. Like, I do think they said, like, if you talk to Casey again that way, like, we will remove you from the show. They must have made a threat because his behavior does dramatically change after that. But, like, not not in long term, but in that season. The challenge in particular is a really interesting one in terms of how they balance the narrative drama with the actual physicality of the show. But what's interesting about the motivation people have to go on it is there was no 
influencer lifestyle that they were going to come out of the challenge and go into being influencers from. So the money that they were making was really the money that they made from the show. And from my understanding, like they definitely got per diem. They got paid for how like long they could stay there, but not that much money. And then at the end, depending on the season, you get a different amount of payouts and it's hard to make really good money unless it's one of the seasons in which um, one or two people are going to win. And then, you know, like you have, you have to split it with your partner. Sometimes, sometimes you have to split a pot with your whole team. Sometimes you get to build that money from the very beginning. Sometimes you get to drain other people's bank accounts. Like they really know two seasons of the show are exactly the same, which I think is interesting. Even when they did the duel again or did different infernos, like they always had different game setups. So they did a great job with the production of the challenge, but it is one of the darkest shows ever made. And because they kept people in the ecosystem and because some people were kind of like known as audience favorites, they would bring back people who had done really horrific things and like crimes to people. You know, I was saying like the production is really smart. They are because they had that ecosystem. They were able to do things like rivals. So smart. But rivals teams were made up of people who had like longstanding beef with each other. Some of this beef was not real beef. And then some of them, like CT and Adam, CT assaulted Adam like <laughs> the first time was on the real world Paris. And I didn't watch the season, so I don't know if like he was. But like it was it was bad. They had a big like antagonistic relationship back then. And then on one of, I think it's like one of the Infernos or something, like CT nearly like kills Adam. Like he's like beating him up. And Adam should have like been able to press charges for assault, not just have CT like removed from the show. And what's so interesting about all MTV shows is looking back at them now, I'm like, oh, there are so many drugs. And watching it now, I'm like, how much cocaine did they manage to sneak into foreign countries every single time they filmed the show? Like, was there an effort by MTV to curb drug use or was it encouraged? I need to know who was the supplier and who was the runner and who was known to have the fun drugs. That's what I want. Like, I think I knew that they were drinking really heavily, but I didn't know how much you had to drink in order to really get to like that level. So the substance abuse is hard to watch. Like, I don't want to talk about these shows as if there's not like an incredible amount of darkness going on in all of them. But like CT and Adam were then paired together during Rivals and like CT's entire mission during the season is to make Adam admit that they're friends now. And watching it, CT always gets the edits that are like, CT's actually a good guy though, right? And like, it is compelling. Like, if you're watching it without constantly reminding yourself that, like, Adam should never have been put in this position in order to win some money, um, you can really get on board with the fact that CT is sitting there after every single challenge going, like, yeah, like, t like tap me up. Like, we're friends. Like, you have to admit it now, dude. Like, we're really good partners. And the thing is, they are pretty good partners because CT's really fucking good at the challenge, which is why he keeps coming back. Not only because he had one of the greatest, like, romance fucking stories ever captured on television and tragic, um, but also because he's like a really compelling guy. When that clip recently of Chris Evans being very Boston Towny went viral, I was like, yeah, like there is something that like Boston Towny dude being kind of rude to you that like really gets us going and we can look at CT and just have all of that summed up. Same thing with Ben Affleck. It's wild. So the challenge is bad but also the evolution is interesting like they start the show and they are they always get texts it's very i've got a text so the t-mobile sound is very like tied to the challenge but 
in the beginning, they're like, show up wearing your team colors. And all these people are showing up wearing like their actual just like ragtag team of like different reds and different blues. And then eventually they start getting Under Armour to kind of like serious it up. And so they start having more and more prescripted outfits and things with their names on them, which is actually really helpful because I think like in the beginning, they were assuming that the people who are watching the show already knew all these people's names because they had spent 12 weeks with them on the real world or the or road rules. And then they realized that the challenge was having an outside audience come in. And I think that's why Fresh Meat was also so smart, because I know everything about all of the Fresh Meat people who continued to go on. And a lot of those people still do challenges. Like Cara Maria is still doing challenges. And she dated Abram for years. It's fascinating. And these people, I don't know if I ever finished this point. I don't know that any of this is finished. But the money that you could make on the challenge was the only money you were really going to make. You weren't going to come off the show and have sponsorship opportunities with Fit Tea. So people took it a lot more seriously. And the dudes between the seasons used to get really ripped. It is so wild to watch the evolution of Johnny Bananas season after season. CT too. His neck grows like nine sizes. Like all of these dudes were absolutely doing roids between the seasons. They all have such bad rage issues. And there was nobody there to help. And when girls have like absolute breakdowns and are being bullied by the entire cast, nobody seems to step in. There are some really horrific scenes where that's happening. And it just feels like, okay, is anybody going to make sure that that girl is like actually okay, though? Or are we just oh, we're just going to move to the next day and pretend that didn't happen? Or, you know, TJ will say something like snarky about it at the next thing if it's really bad and MTV feels like they have to address it. But yeah, there's a lot of like gross, like, oh, I'm going to keep that girl around. There's a lot of resentment between the girls who feel like they earned their spot through being physically capable versus the girls who are being kept around because they're sleeping with one of the dudes who is like the captain of the alliance or whatever. And I don't mean to sound slut shamey when I say that. I am absolutely not. I think that that is what they were literally, that is the only way that they had to protect their place on the show in a lot of ways because of how women were treated in general. What else do I want to say about the challenge? There are now like nine challenge spinoffs, it feels like. And I think there's a docu-series coming this summer. And I just wish that the docu-series was going to be what I wanted it to be, which is like, what was actually happening? And how did you develop these fucking programs? Like, how did you develop the challenges? Like, who was, were these play tested? Who was going up there and like figuring out the questions to ask these people? Who was dangling over the water? Who was doing the jumps? Like, were... Were things actually safe? How did they decide who they were going to bring back? I don't want salacious details of hookups. I want the oral history of the show. I want to like hear from the medics who were finally like, you absolutely have to kick Coral and Evan off of fresh meat. Like they can, we will be sued into oblivion when that man dies of an erupted ulcer. And so I'm so curious and I won't really ever get answers to those questions. I'm sure it's just going to be more of like, you know, I don't know. I don't think documentaries ever go into what I want people to go into because I'm just so curious about production. I would love to hear a producer talk about the thing they most regret or talk about the time they wish they could have stepped in. Like there is a Reddit AMA. If you're nosy like me, I recommend it um, from a Jersey Shore producer. And I didn't even touch on the Jersey Shore. And like just the fact that the Jersey Shore, this this is like the worst thing phenomenon I've ever fucking seen is that the Jersey Shore when it first aired in season one they really aired um they kept kind of teasing this like Snooki gets punched like they kept kind of they really miscalculated how the public was going to feel about Snooki which I think is interesting if you give us the chance to love somebody I think we will 
Um, but with MTV, they kind of assumed, I think, that everybody was going to think Snooki was really messy and, you know, whatever. And so they kept airing in the commercials Snooki getting punched and they kept showing it. And then by the time the episode actually aired, they had received such backlash that they edited it out of the show. But when you watch it on Amazon, they didn't edit out any of the previews because the coming up things are still in the fucking show. So you see it like nine times. And then by the time it happens, it's edited out. And it's like somebody dropped the ball there. That should absolutely not still be able to be witnessed from anybody. And it's so it really sums up for me what MTV thought of their talent and how they really dehumanize these people. And Jersey Shore really took off in a way that I don't think anybody could have expected it to. And they definitely wouldn't have kept the same cast and like kept it going the way that they did. Um, It was a lot of yelling. I was not, I've never been a club kind of party person. So like I didn't fall into Jersey Shore. But I do think that there is something to be said about the depiction of abusive relationships on MTV and how Ronnie and Sam are one of the wildest examples of that. And what I was saying about the Reddit AMA is a producer from Jersey Shore went on Reddit and, you know, answered a bunch of questions. And it really was like, okay, so you were filming them 24 hours a day. Like uh, they said that they used to sleep with the camera, like the monitors on like a baby monitor. If they, if they heard one of them, they'd all wake up. Um, There were, there was a fight between Ron and Sam in season three where it's really strangely cut in the show. Like, you can tell that it's a really fucking terrible fight. Like, I think it's the fight that he breaks her glasses. Like, they're upstairs and everybody's downstairs. And uh, Polly and Vinny are kind of yelling, but you can't really tell what, what they're yelling at or, like, what they're saying. And it turns out it's because they were screaming at production to go up and do something and to stop filming them and, like, protect Sam. And MTV aired an edit of the show that made most people despise Sam. And I do think you could say that that is actually just a reflection of how we feel about women in abusive relationships in general, where we don't see their reaction to abuse as a reaction to abuse rather than abuse in and of itself. I'm like, that gets into the whole fucking, like, there is no such thing as mutual abuse. Um, And Sam was clearly in an abusive relationship and was also clearly kind of a toxic girlfriend even before the abuse started within the relationship. But Ronnie was like constantly doing shit to her that is abusive and was awful. And MTV used it for years as fodder to continue to watch the show. And I think they like really put Sam in so much harm's way, not just physically in the show, but also because of the way that they portrayed her decisions and his decisions. And when you look across all MTV reality shows, there's so many abusive relationships that they really just didn't have a second thought about airing. And I think that that's true in a lot of the challenge. Like, I don't think a lot of those relationships are healthy. I think that it's mostly toxic shit that you're seeing. And I just think MTV should have to pay for its crimes against humanity and culture. And it sucks that I think that um, they never really had to reckon with it. And particularly with like Heidi and Spencer, what I see now is a lot of rehabilitation of that relationship due to the fact that they're still together. And I don't ever want to say somebody's in an abusive relationship when I have no proof of it. But I would just say that Heidi Montag and Spencer have never been a healthy dynamic. Just because two people are together does not mean that the relationship is healthy. And I think that just assuming that is actually a really big disservice to people who are in abusive relationships who do take a long time to leave or a long time to come to terms with what has happened in their life. 
But what MTV did to Heidi Montag, like they they are in the wrong for what they did and how they exploited that girl. And it got to the point where like the reveal of Heidi's like 27 plastic surgeries, which like we don't blink at that level of plastic surgery now, but um, we certainly did when it happened. When she revealed it to her family, MTV paid her family more to have negative reactions to it. And they really did reveal it. Um, to them, like on camera, that scene is is real. But her mom was promised more money if she was mean to her daughter, and their family was struggling at the time. And so, her mom was mean to her daughter on camera forever, like forever. That is the reaction, and it's captured, and it was broadcast to millions of people. And um, yeah, it's bad. And Spencer's whole—I just want to go on a rant about this for a second. Spencer's whole rehabilitate his image. It was all fake, and I was playing into that the entire time. Like that's fine, but that's not what was happening. And if you watch those episodes, he is a horrific human being, and I think treating him as a, a cultural oh, we were so mean to him at the time. Like he and Heidi very specifically were out for fame. They moved to England to because paparazzi over there is a little bit different and the tabloid culture is a little bit different, you know, but um, there's a really interesting uh, online documentary, I would say. I've never, I've truly never recommended this before because it is so strange. It is silent. It, there is just music and the clips of the thing in it. But if you ever just want to look back at, Heidi and Spencer's influence on culture at the time, because that was like, again, that was like 2009. That was the era of Perez Hilton and Heidi coming out with like the music video Higher that was so bad and her music career and all of that stuff, but also just um, what they were trying to do with their media manipulation at the time. There's an online documentary called Spidey um, and it's like two hours and it's really haunting. And I recommend watching it if you're ever curious about that era of kind of pop culture. And it's why I just think Spencer Pratt is full of bullshit. He's clearly a very good manipulator. And I think it's weird that um, he's been able to kind of like utilize that ability to rehabilitate his own image. Like when he says like, oh, Lauren wasn't down to play ball. No, Lauren Conrad wasn't down to play ball. It was her fucking show. And also like when you look at, okay, we're just talking about the Hills now. When you look at the Hills, like people like to say that the Hills was all fake. Those first two seasons were not fake. Lauren was dealing with also being in an abusive relationship with an alcoholic. <laughs> so like, I don't mean to laugh. Um, but like Jason Waller and his treatment of Lauren Conrad on both season two of Laguna Hills and season one or season two of Laguna Beach and season one of the Hills, like Lauren not going to Paris because she wanted to spend the summer with her boyfriend who was finally paying her some attention is such an important storyline to teach young girls of like, no, hey, go to Paris. Don't stay with your shitty boyfriend. Go to Paris. Take the opportunity. Go to Paris. Lisa loves saying to Lauren, Lauren will always be known as a girl who didn't go to Paris. That scene changed me as a person. I was like, I will never make a decision like that for a relationship. Did I internalize that all the well the first time around? No, but I think I will this time. And I just like the depiction of Spencer coming into her life of what happened. You can see all of her friends go like, fuck, like, I don't want to be mad at you, Heidi, but the way that you're acting is your actions. And it's hard to separate that from the fact that I know that Spencer is influencing those actions. And you see Lauren go through this thing where she's finding fame and all of her friends are suddenly treating her really different. And there's a scene where Whitney's like, you've had a hard time making friends recently. And it's like, yeah, because people don't actually want to be your friend. People are just using you to get on television. And like, this is like the first opportunity that's like this that people have had. So I don't know how Lauren trusted anybody. But after season two, when Heidi moves out, like the thing with Spencer, 
It is the creepiest thing in the world. He spends the entire season being like, Heidi, move in with me. And then she finally does. And the first thing he says to her on the show when she sets down her stuff is like, I hope I don't regret this. And so she's walking on eggshells the entire time. It is such a like a raw capture of how that dynamic evolves in and on itself. And I think that if it could be studied what how he manipulates Heidi throughout that season and how her friends struggle with trying to not be mad at her actions that are clearly coming from his behavior. But what happened between season two and three of The Hills is very important to remember and to know because of the way The Hills is produced. MTV was not comfortable taking down the fourth wall yet. And I don't think Lauren would have been comfortable talking about this, but there was a whole thing where Lauren almost had a sex tape leaked. And like at the time, I think a lot of people were like, oh, well, she wanted it to. But Lauren was not looking for that kind of fame. And her parents have so much money. Like Lauren Conrad was able to do what she did because her dad was a really good businessman who knew how to read contracts. But like, I bet it did cost her some opportunities and stuff. But the problem wasn't because Spencer probably didn't have anything to do with like the exploitation of a sex tape. But he was calling her really nasty things in the press. And like there was a mean nickname that he gave her that Perez Hilton used to use all the time. And that's why she's so mad at them in the beginning of season three. Her screaming, you know what you did. Like, the thing about Lauren is that she's not a super compelling lead. Like, Kristen Cavallari is the reason that Laguna Hills is the most watchable fucking high school reality show of all time. Her on season two, just incredible. But Lauren is really kind, I think, to her friends. And she she's chilling in a way because she doesn't get super angry. And so like the you know what you did and um, I want to forgive and forget. I want to forgive you and I want to forget you. And he's a sucky person. Like those are all such mild admonishments, but they fit so fucking hard because you know that she just really means it. So I think that Spencer being like, Lauren didn't want to play ball. Yeah, Spencer, Lauren didn't want to fucking play ball with you because you're a fucking asshole and she knew it. And I think it's really irresponsible that MTV continued to renew this guy's contract when they had like literal documented like him being an emotionally manipulative asshole to his girlfriend for season after season Um, and then hired them back like not even like, you know, three years ago to do another run of it. So just keep in mind that MTV has no, you know, actual um, access for accountability. And the other thing Laguna Hills gave us Laguna Hills, Laguna Beach gave us that I will never fully forgive them for is I think they really enshrined into pop culture the idea of a promposal. And I fucking hate promposals. I think they're, I think they're horrifying. I think prom in and of itself is an interesting social cultural phenomenon to like have, but I think promposals and the pressure to like invite somebody in this really grandiose way. I don't mind it in real, like, I think in real life, like, honestly, it's it's probably fine, but Instagram ruins everything. Like, if you watch early reality television, you're like, wow, nobody gets cakes that look like that anymore, even for, like, average birthday parties. Like, the early seasons of the Kardashians, they are truly getting straight up grocery store cakes. And by the end of it, they are paying, like, $500 for, you know, like, custom, beautiful cakes that are not made of fondant in there, so they're even more expensive and all this shit. But, like, people used to just get really regular-looking grocery store shit for um, reality shows. And on Laguna Beach, I think, you know, the prom were like a fucking handmade sign. Um, and now I feel like people have to do an entire song and dance number as if it really impacts the rest of your life, who you go to prom with. But MTV really, I think, did capture the first blurring of the lines between the cultural reaction and how they would edit the next season of the show. I think it's really interesting. Laguna Beach, they kind of managed 
like Jersey Shore to do this kind of lightning in a bottle thing where like season one of Laguna Beach, I don't think anybody knew it was going to be that big. I don't think anybody expected Hollister to start selling Team Kristen, Team LC shirts, um, which looking back on it, so fucking interesting that because they decided that LC was going to be the lead, they made it look like Kristen was the bad guy in season one for just wanting her boyfriend to not hit on Lauren. Like, it's fascinating. Um, I don't think MTV expected it. And so by the time they were filming season two, season one had just started airing. So these people were not mega famous yet. So they managed to get like two seasons before you really started having people on the show reacting to the fact that they were on the show. Like season three is a very different vibe. And then like when you look at all of the things that have come after it, people have an archetype to go on. They want to be a Kristen or a Jessica or a Steven. Like there's a way... They, they have a roadmap and a blueprint. And I think like MTV was really good at creating those blueprints and a lot of other people have perfected them. But looking at who has come from MTV and the things that they've been able to influence in culture, I just think there's a lot there and we should take their influence more seriously because a lot of it was really toxic and it came from these kind of like fly by the seat of your pants production decisions and I just, it didn't have to be this way. We really could have had some very interesting cultural conversations. And instead, MTV really like steered hardcore in another direction. And I just think that like the opportunity lost by not just creating a spinoff of the real world of like young, dumb singles living in a house together and keeping the real world as more of this like interesting different walks of life reality show was a really missed opportunity. And also, um, just while watching the challenge, I had some of the weirdest thoughts I've ever had. And one of them was, wow, they're living in a world before Citizens United. I just thought that that was so fucking stupid. So MTV and the little boxes they used to put over people while they were nude um, really influenced my childhood, even though a lot of times I clicked away. Uh, I Looking through the list, I was like this, like... All of the shows brought up. I I know that there's so many more. I didn't even get into the paper or the search for the next Woods. And if you want to hear me talk about the search for the next Woods for like two hours, um, you can look up my old podcast, Don't Forget Meg Ryan. And there is an entire episode just about that. And it is honestly one of the wildest TV shows ever made because they cast actual really talented Broadway caliber people, stuck them in the bar of the Empire Hotel, decked, their, decked it out in PB Teen, and made them compete in some of the wildest challenges um, in order to secure the lead on Broadway. And then it actually went to a girl who was not a Broadway ringer who they had brought in, which is really interesting. Um, and it was always going to go to Bailey, but, you know, anyway, spoiler alert. Um, thank you so much for listening. I hope that this made sense. One of the thoughts I had also was just like, wow, I didn't realize there's so many drugs. I feel like I've talked about that, though. Oh, shout out to, you know, I don't know that I'll record another thing on Laguna Beach, but I totally could. But I do want to just shout out that, like, this is this is the early MTV peeking through. Is that in season one, they have Trey. And Trey's entire personality trait is, like, dude who's an activist. And then in season two, Trey's back from, I think he went to Brown. Like, I think it was like a full on, like, yeah, that's one type of hippie, um, like rich hippie dude. In in season two, in the best episode of te- reality television ever produced, I Saw You Kiss Her. So it opens with the most iconic VO of all time from Kristen Cavallari saying, so a really bad thing happened. And it was a really bad thing. Like a mudslide happened and it ruined a bunch of houses. So Trey is back. And so they organize a fashion show called Fight the Slide 2005. 
<laughs> and I just think it's adorable that MTV was like, yeah, you know who will definitely bring in a specific audience? This dude who cares about activism and made hats and plays guitar at coffee shops. And they were correct. Um, I don't know what Dieter was supposed to bring to the whole thing, but he is also a fascinating character. Um, MTV really struck gold when they walked into that high school full of eerily pretty fucking teenagers. Um, and yeah, TJ Lavin should have an Emmy. And um, that's that's what I'm going to leave with. I hope he gets one. He might now that they're hosting the challenge on CBS and like bringing on like Survivor people and showing it to, you know, more more of America and not just people who remember who Wes fucking is. Um, I'm really curious what it's going to be. And like, yeah um mtv and the whole paramount plus and the streaming service and mtv leaning into the fact that their audience is people like me and nostalgia um i think will be really interesting and make for some very interesting productions in the next few years so thank you so much for listening um if you want to follow me on other things you can follow me on twitter at hi claire with uh, three eyes in hi so feel free to follow me places i'll leave links and descriptions and links to like episodes that i can find and stuff i hope that this was informative i guess about mtv it's mostly just my wandering thoughts I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. And perhaps this one will be a conversation with a friend about video games. So have a great day, y'all. Bye.